Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the Tigers Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Schulte. Big goings on in the world of the Detroit Tigers, mainly in the front office. So we're going to discuss that today. Um, the, pod, the pod is a little late because of that, um, and I do apologize. Uh, last week, um, first of all, we're not going to do an injury report uh, because um, there's really no point with essentially 15 games left in the season. So uh, we're just going to leave it as is. Um because, yeah, there's there's not um, there's not much change. Um, Miguel Cabrera came back over the weekend, and that was a big deal. But um, outside of that, everybody else is on the sixty day disabled uh, sixty day injured list. So there's nobody in 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 the current uh, roster that, or there's nobody that that. Um, the injury report would be beneficial for so because everybody else isn't coming back until next year so at the very earliest so we're going to forego the injury report we are going to congratulate the Erie Sea Wolves for making the um double a uh eastern league playoffs um they are playing for a championship this is a team that a couple of years ago had Alex Fiedo, Casey Mize, Joey Wentz, Tarek Skubal um on it all at one time and almost made the playoffs that was the team that had Chase Numata on it who passed away tragically after the last game of the double A season um a game that Erie was eliminated or that 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 uh, the game that in which Erie was eliminated from the playoffs um from the playoff race and um oddly enough it was against richmond who you'll hear about them in a little bit in a little bit so um j- let's just have a quick recap of the week that was i told you that the t- that the astros were going to sweep the tigers they did um and then of course detroit um played the white Sox and lost two out of three to the white Sox. i believe they're done with chicago for the year if they're not there's one more series left in chicago um but uh, I, I don't. I'm not. I wasn't surprised to see that happen. So um, Detroit is now on a two-game winning streak against Baltimore. They are five and zero against Baltimore this year. They've taken the 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 season series as well as uh, sweeping the home series and now taking the road series um, with their first two wins. Tyler Alexander took a no-hitter into the seventh on Monday and actually pitched pretty well after that. And what I mean by that is he gave up two rocket shots um, to start the seventh to the first two batters that he faced, and then he got a strikeout and a double play and got himself out of the inning, which was really nice to see uh, him just bounce back after losing his no-hit bid, uh, which was, um, like I said, that was that was a big deal. Um, so... He didn't fall apart and and let the let the emotion get to him, and that was that was good to see. Now, mind you, it was an eleven nothing win for the Tigers, but you can't really you can't really fault uh, you can't really be too um, 
It's it, it really means a lot when you can see a pitcher face the adversity that he faced. I mean, he's he's dealing with the emotions of losing something that that not a lot of pitchers have had, and um, is then able to come back and 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 handle his business and ended up giving the Tigers seven strong innings. And then, of course, yesterday, Joey Wentz gave the Tigers five and two-thirds good innings. And so the bullpen is fine. So the Tigers' pen is rested and um, ready to go and ready to deal with uh, whatever needs to happen, whatever needs it needs to deal with tonight and over the weekend. So onward we go. Um the just the gist of this podcast is going to be the Tigers announcing um, on Monday that they had hired um, Scott Harris from the San Francisco Giants as their president of baseball operations, and um, I want to be impressed with him. I really do. Um, I I did a little bit of research on him. Um, he has a. Bachelor's in economics from UCLA. He studied at Oxford University in London for a little while. He has a MBA from um, Northwestern. He did some work um, on that as well at Columbia University. So he's not an idiot. He was the general manager under Farhan Zaidi of the San Francisco Giants. And before that, he worked under Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer with the Chicago Cubs. And what I find interesting is Steve Eiserman, um actually got involved in the recruitment process of um, Scott Harris, which I found kind of intriguing that, that they would apparently um, Iserman met Harris at a Cubs game a while back and they formed a friendship. And so that was helpful in, in Scott becoming a, 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 a tiger. Now, Scott grew, he, Harris grew up in Redwood City his dad is a Cubs fan. His mom is a Giants fan. And oddly enough, he said he was watching the Richmond um, Erie game on Sunday, and he wasn't sure which team to root for uh, because he had already, by all intents and per- by, for all intents and purposes, taken the job with the Tigers. So um, he is he is um, on the job. He was announced officially yesterday. And I want to cover a couple of things that he talked about at the press conference. And this is this is this is what intrigues me about him as a general as a as a president of baseball operations. Now he says he's going to hire a general manager. My guess is is that it'll be Sam Menson, who is the current assistant GM, um, assumed the general manager roles of the general manager duties uh, when Al Avila was fired. So my thought is, is that he's probably going to bring him in as the general manager. Um, but you never know. So that that's that's it's it's it'll be interesting because what he said he wants to do is is look, he's either he either knows what the right things are to say or he believes this this stuff. And I'm gonna take him at his word because to me words mean things. So if you're saying this, then you believe it. He says he wants to develop a culture of he wants to he wants a culture of development. He wants to acquire um acquire and maintain may acquire, maintain and retain young players 
and he wants to dominate the strike zone on both sides of the ball. Now, he's 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 pretty accurate in a lot of the things that he says. You know, acquiring, maintaining, and retaining young players, every team is trying to do that. So every team is going to try to draft quality young players. Every team is going to try to trade for prospects. Every team is going to try to keep the players that they have um, at all levels that are that are solid players, that are prospects, and, 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 and that have potential or have started to demonstrate their potential in the major leagues. That's something that every team does. He said he wants to develop a culture of development. And what he, what interested me when he said that was he doesn't want a player that comes up from AAA to just take a breath and be like, wow, I finally made it to the big leagues. He wants that player to be excited at what he can do to better himself at the next level. What he can do to develop his skills to play at the next level. And I think that's an interesting concept because I think so many players are like, okay, I'm here. I don't need to work hard anymore. I've made it. I don't need to do to put in the the work and I don't need to, to, to do, you know, make swing changes or add a new pitch or change the grip on a pitch or work on my throwing or work on my defense anymore because I'm in the show. I'm I've made it. I don't need to worry about that anymore. So I think it's interesting that he made that that point. But what I'm really interested in and what I'm really intrigued by, and I want to see how he does this, is he said he wants to dominate the strike zone on both sides of the ball. And his comment was, the strike zone is extremely important in every aspect of the game. It affects how many pitches a pitcher throws, how many the, the workload on a pitcher's body, what pitchers are used in a series, how many pitchers are used in a series, what type of contact is being made by a hitter that the defense has to account for? He just he went into a whole list of things that that defensively and offensively, you know, the strike zone de- de- determines um, what type of account that a hitter is in, what type of a, of of a pitch that a hitter is going a hitter is going to see, what type of contact a hitter needs to make. It's it's really. It was a really interesting concept, and I'll be very intrigued to see how he goes about doing this. Because obviously, if you dominate in the strike zone, that means you don't strike out. Which is what A.J. Hinch has been preaching for the last two years. Contact is your friend. But yet, he was he was a part of the team that drafted and he may not have been might not have been the part of the team that drafted him when he was or signed him when he when the, the team may have signed him before he got before Scott Harris got there but he was with the Chicago Cubs and that's the team that called up Javi Baez and Javi Baez does not dominate the strike zone he's a low walk high strikeout guy so at what point do you make the decision that, um, well, we've got Javi Baez, but I don't necessarily think we need to keep Javi Baez because he's not dominating the strike zone. So it's, it's an intriguing concept, and I, I'm, I'm going to love to see how he puts this into play because let's think about what dominating the strike zone means. 
for pitchers, it's pretty easy. Throw more quality strikes. You throw more quality strikes, you won't walk as many batters, and, and you won't have as much hard contact. And your your day will be a lot easier, and it'll be a lot shorter, and you won't have to throw as, as many pitches because you're throwing quality strikes. For a hitter, does that mean don't strike out as much? Walk more than you strike out? Or make more contact than you than you strike out? I don't have a problem with a player that's hitting 220 but striking out once every 50 at bats. If he's if those other 49 at bats are either a hit, a walk, or he's making good contact, I don't mind that. I have a problem with a player that's hitting 280 but has more strikeouts than 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 good contact and more strikeouts than walks. And we've seen we've seen from by all intents and purposes the Tigers draft this year they've actually picked players that are if not equal very close to equal in the amount of walks that in the amount of walks that they take versus the amount of strikeouts that they have. Uh, Jace Jace Young, uh, Peyton Graham, those type of players are are high walk guys, at least. They might strike out a lot, but they're going to walk a lot as well. They're sort of like, they're sort of like, they're sort of like the the, the players back in the in the in the early two thousands. Um, I think Adam Dunn used to strike out a lot, but he used to walk a lot as well. And I can live with that, as long as they're they're productive when they make contact. You know, Spencer Torkelson is supposed to be somebody that's got a high walk rate as well as, I mean, a little bit of swing and miss, but he's got a high walk rate. And we've seen that a little bit in the big leagues. But ultimately, the question is, how do you dominate the strike zone from both sides of the ball? And what, what are the, what are, because there's going to be different theories on that. There's going to be different, oh, well, you need to make more contact. No, you need to draw more walks. Uh, you need to do both. Uh, you need to make the pitcher work harder in the strike zone. That's a theory that I don't agree with, by the way, because a strikeout is still a strikeout. If you strike out on a, in a 10-pitch at bat versus a 5-pitch at bat, all you've done is make the pitcher throw five more pitches. You've not done anything productive for your team. Nothing whatsoever. So from that standpoint... I don't agree with that. To me, dominating the strike zone is making better contact, more contact than you strike out, and walking more than you strike out. If you can combine the two, that's that's what you that's the ultimate that's the ultimate end game. So he's on board with AJ Hinch and with Scott Coolbaugh, who is the Tigers hitting coach as to what needs to be done offensively and defensively. Because A.J. Hinch often preaches not only is contact your friend and, and that you need to stop striking out so much, but from a pitcher's standpoint, he wants you to get to strike one, strike two, win the race to, shoot, win the race to two strikes. Because at that point, you can do whatever you want with it as a pitcher. You can, it opens up a lot more as far as pitch selection is concerned than if you're in a, in a three-ball count or a two-ball count. So, 
I like that concept. <clears throat> I'm curious to see how he how he how he implements it over the winter. Now, I also like what he said about making proper baseball moves. If we keep our heads down and we and we make the right and we keep making the right moves, we're going to be a darn good baseball team. I think. I don't think he's critical of Alavila in this. I just think that he's basically saying that he might have a better way to do it. Because based on what he said about obtaining and, and, and retaining young players, acquiring and, and retaining young players, he's not going to make a lot of free agent signings. He might make some trades, but he's not going to make a lot of free agent signings. He'll make key free agent signings. And San Francisco didn't make a lot of free agent. They did. They signed Carlos Rodon and 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 you know a couple of other players as well. But most of their team is team is is players from their minor league system, or players that they've acquired via trade. Um. So I, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see the mix of trades versus free agent signings that he makes during the offseason. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Because let's not forget, he has arbitration coming up later on this year. I do believe Jamer Candelario is eligible for arbitration, as well as Joey Menez and Gregory Soto and um, a few other players. So where does he go with with the arbitration stuff? Who does he tender an offer to and who does he not? Because again, and I think this will be the first the first major move for him as to how he's going to be doing what he needs to do as part of his job and as part of his vision. Depending on who you non-tender, that's going to set the tone for the rest of what you do in in the winter time. So I'm 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 kind of looking forward to I'm kind of excited about December 1st. Because again, that's when you have to when you have to tender players offers and if he doesn't tender certain players then that's going to be like, you know what? This is how he's going to implement his vision. So Um, I also like what he had to say about uh, Detroit as a team. He basically said, when he was asked what his message was to the fans, this is not my team, this is not A.J. Hinch's team, this is nobody's team but the the city of Detroit. This is the fans' team. This is your team. He said, basically, the players and A.J. Hinch are going to be in, every, in, in a fan's living room more often than he is via TV. And so... From his standpoint, he needs to pay attention to and think of what's best for the fan. What's best for the team and what's best for the fan. And in his opinion, what's best for the fan is putting a winning product out on the field. So in order to do that, he's got to think about what's best for the team. So overall, I, I, I look, I give his press conference a B. 
And I only give it a B because I'm extremely cynical. If you look at what he said and how he said it, just from that standpoint, and you take the emotion out, the, the emotion out of the grading system, I give it an A. But because of the way that I am and the, the, the thoughts that I have and the, 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 the angst toward ownership that I have, I have a very hard time giving it an A because giving his giving him an A because Chris Illich is, the, is ultimately the person who makes the final decisions and I just worry that he's going to be the one that's that that hamstrings Scott Harris. Scott Harris is going to do all he can. I'm not saying that he won't, but I'm worried that Chris Illich is going to hamstring him and not allow him to to thrive and function as he wants to. Now, Chris Illich, Chris Illich hired him. Chris Illich was the one that said, hey, you know, this is, this is, we want you here. Chris Illich gave him the title of president of baseball operations because you wouldn't want to leave an organization that you're the general manager of just to be the general manager of somewhere else. Guys that do that are guys that leave losing teams. Al Avila will be the general manager of another team. He won't be the president of baseball operations because that's an upgrade in title. He hasn't earned it. Dave Dombrowski left Detroit and was the general as the general manager and was the president of baseball operations for Boston. Led him to a World Series. Now he's the president of baseball operations for the Phillies. Those are at, at some point you can only make lateral moves as a general manager. You don't make a lateral move. You make a, you make a, an, an upward move. When you become the president of baseball operations, all you can do is make lateral moves. I suppose you could make a downward move. You could be the assistant GM somewhere, but why would you do that? Unless you know, that the guy that you're that 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 you're working for is going to be retiring soon or is going to die somehow and you're going to inherit the 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 role that he has in a very short term. So Chris Illich was the one that offered him his his deal. Chris Illich was the one that said, "I want you to work here." One would assume, and, and, and when asked about it, Scott Harris said, yeah, Chris, when, when it's time to spend money on free agents, Chris Illich is going to give me all the resources that I need. So one would assume that that came up and he talked about it. But then you got to wonder if maybe they're on the same page philosophically. And Chris Illich is like, look, I don't want to spend a lot on free agents because I don't want a lot of bad contracts and I don't want a lot of dead financial weight. Points his finger at Miguel Cabrera's contract, which is probably about the size of war and peace. Um, and and he makes a, he goes ahead and says, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm, I'm down with this. I can do, I can work with this. That's fine. You can work on a shoestring. You can win on a shoestring in Major League Baseball if you've got the analytics. If you've got the technology. Now, he comes from the Cubs system that created the pitch lab. And so that's a good thing. But at what point does the shoestring snap? 
and at one point, what point is it snapping? Because you've got your gen, your your president of baseball operations on one end and your owner on the other end, and they're having a tug of war over it, and it just gets too too stressed out and snaps. I think we reached that point with Alavila. I think Alavila wanted to spend a lot more money. I think Alavila wanted to offer Carlos Correa $350 million. And Chris Illich said no. I think Alavila wanted to try to sign Carlos Rodon or one of the bigger name free agent pitchers out there. And Chris Illich said no. I think if you look at the contracts that they've got, with Eduardo Rodriguez and Javier Baez, those are Chris Illich creations and not Alavila creations. Because Chris Illich is saying, if we give them the option to leave, that saves us money. Chris Illich saw the Jordan Zimmerman situation. Chris Illich sees the Miguel Cabrera situation. And he doesn't like it. I don't blame him. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to completely avoid those big contracts. You just got to be smarter about them. And Alavila wasn't smart about them, and neither was Chris Illich, because Chris Illich let him sign those. Well, he didn't let him sign the Miguel Cabrera contract, but he let him offer Jordan Zimmerman that five-year, $110 million contract. And there was no way out for the club when Jordan Zimmerman kept getting hurt. They had to pay it. They were on the hook for every penny of it. So I think ultimately Chris Illich is is looking for somebody who he can tell, hey, look, I don't want to spend a lot. Let's not spend a lot. We'll see where Scott Harris goes from here. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I'm not yet impressed. I'll be impressed when I see a winner. Until then, I'm cynical. I want to thank Anchor for distributing the podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can. Tigersbaseballpodcast at gmail.com. It's the world's longest email address. I'm proud of it. At Podcast Tigers on Twitter. Check us out on our YouTube channel. I really appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week. I'm not sure exactly when the pod is going to drop, but we'll see you uh, when it does. And until then, I'm Chris Schulte. Thanks for listening, and go Tigers.